Romans chapter 12 today. Romans chapter 12. At the beginning of this chapter, Paul was writing about our relationship with God and how God relates with us. So we understood some of the finer points of this communication between us and God. Now he changes that to focus more on how Christians should act since we have this relationship with God. Have you ever wanted an instruction booklet on how we should act as Christians? You know, we have it here, but sometimes when you're in Deuteronomy, it just seems like, oh man, how, how, what do I get out of that? You know, uh, There's always something to get out of every bit of Scripture. All Scripture is inspired and all of it speaks to us. But in the case of Romans chapter 12, Paul is giving us vital information to help us to be better Christians, to walk as Christians, not just to act like Christians. Today's message is titled, No Compromise. And we begin with chapter 12, verse 9. We're going to pick it up. Where Paul writes, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. So let it be without hypocrisy. Love um, shouldn't be based on anything that we are going to be able to get from love, but instead love should be based on what we're giving. What how we love others should be based on loving them. Well, we, we can't do it perfectly. It's not agape. See, the Greeks had four different words for love. We have one. I love a hamburger. I love my wife. You know, so that, you know, it, it just doesn't match. But they had four Agape was the ultimate love. It's unconditional love. That's the kind of love that God has for us. Agape love. We would like to achieve that. We would like to believe that we love that way. But that's the way God loves and we're not God. If you haven't checked lately, just go look in the mirror and look and realize, oh, that's not God. That's not what God looks like. That's me, okay? A lot of people sometimes, they forget that because we walk away from the mirror and we forget what nature person that we really are. The second kind of love is storge. That's uh, the kind of love that's family love. That's the kind of love that is, I love my, my mom, my brothers, my sisters. That kind of love is storge, and that's not what it's talking about. The next kind of love is eros. eros. It is 
where we get our term erotic from, but really it's talking about a sensual type of love, a physical type of love. We're not talking about that. This is phileo. It's where we get the term Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love. That's the kind of love that Paul is talking about. The kind of love that we should have one for another should be a brotherly love without hypocrisy. We shouldn't treat people differently. We should love people equally. And you know that's impossible, isn't it? It's impossible in our human nature to really do that. So we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to do that. I just want to let you know something. This is a secret. Don't tell anyone. It's impossible to do anything without the Holy Spirit that God approves of. It really is. We try. Man, we try hard. But we need the Holy Spirit to really be the motivation behind why and what we do. And when we are in tune with God through the Holy Spirit, then we can do things that we're not really capable of doing, like loving our neighbor that I don't really like much. You know, but... I love him because that's what I'm called to do. And I'm going to do it in such a way that it's not hypocritical. The second thing that he mentions here is abhorring what is evil. If you want to know what evil is, just turn on the news. Because they don't hide evil. Evil is not hidden somewhere. You don't have to go looking for evil. Oh, they're parading it everywhere now. Evil is now the norm. If you don't agree with them, then you're evil. And so evil... Well, for many people, they believe evil is just um, subject to the person that is determining whether or not something's evil. Well, I, I just don't think that drag queens should be teaching children in schools and libraries or anywhere for that matter, anywhere. I don't care if the children show up, they shouldn't be doing it, it's evil. Hey, that's just my opinion. No, I'm sorry. It's not just my opinion. Have, did, have you seen the, commer uh, the, the things on TV that talk about this and stuff like that? Does it make you sick? Does it get you a knot in your stomach? Holy Spirit. You see, that's the Holy Spirit saying, you know what, that ain't right. That's not something that we should be doing. And that's the Holy Spirit showing us it's wrong. Now, here's another thing that helps show you that it's wrong. We have something called another one of those secrets I'm going to give out today. I'm giving a bunch of secrets out today. It's called common sense. 
even common sense as a human knows that these things are wrong, how come people don't realize it? Because of evil. Evil has crept into the human condition in such a way that it masks itself as love. And we see evil. Now, I'm just talking about something that's obvious, that's outward. How about the evil of people in public office that think they're better than the people that they're supposed to be serving and they do things that are evil? I'm not pointing to any one party because it isn't just any one party. It's most of the people that have... If I had the opportunity to run for president, I wouldn't. I'll tell you why. I don't want to be in charge of a country that thinks it's okay to commit evil, to be evil, to promote evil things, to pass laws, to support evil things. So whoever becomes president, even if they are a believer in Jesus Christ, they can't turn the country into a theocracy. They can't implement biblical laws and wipe out all of the unbiblical laws. It won't happen because people would lose their mind. We're supposed to abhor the evil. We're supposed to hate it in such a way that we won't participate in the evil. Unfortunately, there are many believers, there are many Christians who abhor evil and they make that their life goal to fight evil. I'm going to find evil and I'm going to cast it out. I'm going to find everything wrong and I'm going to just point to it and let you know it's evil. That's not helping either, is it? Because people don't care. People know it's evil. If they don't know it's evil, then they're not going to listen to you anyway. So what do we do? Oh, that's the third part of this verse. Cling to what is good. Cling to what is good. People are abhorring evil, but they're not clinging to what's good. Because if we cling to what's good, then it changes everything, doesn't it? We focus on clinging to good. Clinging means grabbing a hold of and not letting go of. It isn't, I'm in the presence of good. A, a, a lot, there are a lot of people that are in church in the presence of good. I'm not talking about our church. But there are, unless you are. <laughs> but there are people that go to church to be around good people. To be somewhere where there's good. I'm associated with good. It doesn't say associate with good. It says cling to it. Cling to it. Make it part of your life. There's no question when we go somewhere and Cheryl and I are together in a group, in a crowd, and she'll come up to me and she'll cling to me. She wants people to know he's mine. 
I don't know why. You know, but she wants to, and I cling to her. I want them to know, you know, we're in love. This is what love looks like. And, you know, I'm protecting her. I'm clinging to her. And there's no doubt in people's minds when they see that, oh, <laughs> they're together, you know. If someone comes and tries to hit on her or hit on me, and, and uh, they may do it at the same time in this world, but if they come and try to do that, they're not going to get what they expect, you know, and we're supposed to cling to what's good. So when people come and try to draw us into the evil, to try to convince us that evil is good. Ooh, Isaiah chapter 5. Beware. Oh, I feel bad for those that call evil good and good evil. I feel bad for them because God's aware of them. God already knows what's going on in their minds, in their hearts. I believe clinging to good when can only happen when we know what good is. If we're up in the air about good, then how do we cling to it? This is where it begins. It begins in the word of God. The better and the more we know the word of God, the easier it is to cling to what's good. And when we trust in him, when we trust that God has all of this figured out and not us, it's easy for us to cling. It's easy for us to live our lives that way. Verse 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. Affectionate with brotherly love, not physically affectionate in this case. It's talking about brotherly love. Connect and giving preference to others. That's how we demonstrate the love of God. Jesus gave preference all the way to the cross. You see, that was our death that he died. That was our sin that he covered, that he paid for. He did that. The good news is, just like the second song that we were singing, Another in the Fire, now, regardless of what's going on in our lives, the trials and tribulations that we experience in our lives, he's there with us. He showed and he demonstrated that he puts us before even himself. God putting himself before us. That, that blows my mind. And it's hard for me to understand, but it's something that Paul tells us we should understand and we should give preference to each other. We should put others before ourselves. It's part of being a Christian. The character of a Christian is displayed when we put other people's needs before our own. 
And people witness that. People see that. And that's demonstrating the character of what we believe as Christians. Verse 11, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. So another characteristic of a Christian is that they're diligent, meaning that they're careful, they're thoughtful, attentive to what they're doing. I believe this pertains to every aspect of our lives. You know, some people, their focus is their work and being diligent at work. And that's very important, to be diligent in what we do. As a pastor, I believe this is one of the most important things for me to do, is be diligent in the work that I do as a pastor in the Word. Now, there are many other things I do here. I am diligent about a cleaning a toilet if necessary. You know, I'll, I would rather one of you do it, but <clears throat> I will go and I'll do it, and I won't just do it so it's clean by your standards. I'll do it so it's clean by my standards. And that's generally um, Cheryl's standards, which are much higher than mine. Um, so, you know, I, that's the way I do things. I, I do things diligently. And I'm, I'm being serious when I say Cheryl because she does things diligently in every aspect of her life. She pours her whole heart into her job and ministering to the people over at the community center. You know what? It's not a religious job. She's not over there representing a religious organization. She doesn't tell people that she's God's right-hand woman. She goes there and is the program manager for the programs there. And when she's doing her work, she thinks like a Christian, how can I bless these people? And people notice it. And people say things to her. They just don't know that it has anything to do with Christ. They just see it being lived out in how she is diligent with her job. I try to do the same thing. Except we're all at my job, most of us are Christians. My CEO, my co-workers, most of us are believers. And so it's, we try to out-diligent each other. You know, we're all doing, and that's how, why I believe this small company is now doing so well. We've been so blessed. We're so influential as a small company in this field. We're, we're government contractors, but the government knows if we call on this company to do it, they're going to do it, and they're going to do it right. And it makes a big difference when you have an impact like that the second place is at home. We need to be diligent at home because, and, and really that's the first place. Work is the second place. But we're diligent at home with our family because that's what the Holy Spirit calls us to be, to be diligent at home. And if I ever am confused 
as to whether I'm doing the right thing or not, I know that I can ask the Holy Spirit and he'll tell me. Or I ask Cheryl and she'll tell me. I'd rather ask the Holy Spirit because, you know, then maybe I can correct it before she notices. But that's part of being diligent. We do it in every aspect of our lives. In the church, we're also diligent to the body of Christ. We all have a role in the body of Christ. That's what Paul was talking about in the last chapter. And, and here we are living as Christians. Let's not just be takers. Let's not just be absorbing the blessings of God. Let's be distributors. Let's redistribute the blessings of God because he's blessed us with them. He's blessed us with these gifts, these abilities. And, and when, I'm, when I say gifts, I'm not talking about worldly gifts, although they do apply. You know, I had some guys come out this week and help me do some work that I'm not very good at. And they came out and helped me by painting and, and taping off and doing all the stuff that I'm not... You know, when you're taping something off and the next thing you know, you're like in the blue man group. You got this tape all over you and everything and, and it's not sticking to the wall, but it sure does stick to skin. I, I mean, that's me trying to do something. But, you know, when you have someone that knows what they're doing, it's a blessing. That's us as a church. And that's great. But I'm talking about spiritual gifts. I'm talking about the spiritual gifts that each one of us have because each one of us as a member of the body of Christ has been given a spiritual gift. And we're supposed to take that gift and share it with our brothers and sisters in Christ here in this place. Here or wherever else we go. But that's what we're supposed to be doing. That's part of being diligent. And we're supposed to be fervent in spirit. Um, fervent in spirit is good. We're supposed to be eager is what it's saying. Be eager about what you do. You know, be excited about being in the spirit doing things in the spirit. Be excited about it. Because when you get excited about it, there's a joy, there's a, uh, there's a peace that comes from, I'm being used by God to do this. So immediately get on Facebook, take a selfie, and make sure that everyone knows that you're, I'm kidding. Don't do that. Just do it. Be used by God and be blessed because God is going to use you for that. And then we're to be attentive and thorough in all that we do. Um, you know, serving the Lord. Everything we do is serving the Lord. That's important. Because when we start thinking about it as I'm serving people, well, that puts people before serving the Lord. Consider the fact 
that if we serve the Lord first and we do everything with the intention of serving the Lord, the people will be blessed. Everyone else gets blessed because we're doing, we're putting the right priority on things. I'm serving the Lord and now he's going to serve them. He's going to minister to them through the serving that I'm doing. In verse 12, we're told that serving is really about rejoicing in hope, being patient in tribulation, and continuing steadfastly in prayer. Rejoicing in hope refers to the attitude of the heart as Christians. We're supposed to rejoice in where our hope is. Our hope is not in here, is not in what's going on in here. Our hope is not in who's going to be elected president. That's not where our hope is. Our hope is in what comes after. Whether today is the day that we go home or whether Jesus comes and takes us home, uh, that's where our hope is and what happens after that. And so let's keep that priority organized also, making sure that we have that right in our head. Patient in tribulation. Woo! We like that, don't we? Tribulation. And now we're told to be patient in it. What? Hold on. I want to get through this tribulation. You see, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were standing there in the fire with Jesus. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know them. And they were there with Jesus in the fire. You know what they weren't trying to do? Run out. You see, the king was there looking at them. Their, their cords had burned off and they were standing in the fire. The guys that threw them in the fire, poof, they were toast, roasted, but they're standing there in the fire. They weren't trying to run out because of who they were standing with. Every trial, every tribulation you go through, he's there with you. He's another in the fire with you. He's not going to leave. And so that gives us all the more reason to stay where we are and to wait for him to get us out of the fire. He'll do it. He'll tell us when it's time to go. But in the meantime, let's stay. We develop more hope. When we stay, we're developing perseverance. We're developing our hope. And then we're told we're supposed to continue steadfastly in prayer. Praying helps us in our tribulation and it helps us to develop more hope. Pray without ceasing, right? That's what Paul said. That we should be praying always. Do you know why? Because we're always either going into tribulation, 
in the middle of tribulation or coming out of tribulation. So we might as well pray always because it's always a good time to pray because we don't know what's coming tomorrow. There are some things that happen to us that we never expected to happen to us. Is that true? So as we're going through these things, uh, some of uh, the, the funniest things we think are so important that are really unimportant to us and we place all this emphasis on, oh, well, when this happens, then I'm going to be able to do this and I'm going to have everything in order. And then something unexpected happens. I'm not saying it's terrible. I'm saying it's unexpected. And it happens and it puts all of our plans on delay. When David built the temple and God said, no, you're not. You're not going to build that temple. Your son Solomon is. He had all the plans done. He went to the architect. He sat down. They came up with all the plans. They had all of it done. You see, he was ready to build. And God said no. So we may be involved in our plans and getting our plans done, but God may say, no, not time. It's not time to do those things yet. We need to be patient in tribulation. We need to wait until it, God said it says, we can force it. We can do it our way. And then when we get to the end of it and say, oh, this was a mistake, then we have to wait it out until it can be fixed. And we may actually go through that tribulation again, but we need to continue steadfastly in prayer. Verse 13, distributing to the needs of the saints. See, saints, first of all, uh, quite often people think, okay, I need to give to the needy in the streets. I need to help people by, you know, giving to them. This says to the saints. See, if we're not doing it at home, you remember in the book of Acts, uh, after the church was initially formed, the apostles were busy. They were busy in prayer. They were busy taking care of the church. They were busy distributing to the needs of the saints. They were busy all the time. And they weren't getting much done. The important things, they didn't feel like they were getting busy. So they picked seven saints and said, these are seven people that honor the Lord. And I'm going to take those seven people. We are going to use them to distribute to the needs of the saints so we can focus on prayer and teaching and you know, doing the spiritual things. So does that mean that those guys weren't being spiritual? No, they were being used by God to distribute to the saints. They just had a different role. They had a different purpose, part of God's plan. They had a different purpose. And so that's part of the body of Christ. How do we do that? How do we achieve that? How do we minister to the saints? Who are the saints that are in need? 
What do they need? And how can we bless them? And because we're a small church, it's easier for us to do that because we're a small church. I pretty much know most of you by name. And if I don't know you by name today, I probably won't tomorrow. So I will remember your name eventually. And then I'll know, okay, well, that person I know because I've talked with them and these are their needs. And, and let's pray about how the Lord can now meet those needs. And he does. Given to hospitality. That's part of a gift that God has. Cheryl has the gift of hospitality. I have the gift of eating. And, and so... Uh, someone has to taste the food to make sure it's okay. So um, we together make a good team. And there are many that have that gift of hospitality. When people come in here and they're greeted, it, it's the gift of hospitality that greets them. That You don't have to hand them a cup of coffee or any. The gift of hospitality is just making someone feel welcome. When they come in, it's not what you're providing. It's not how you're providing it. It's making people feel welcome. That's the gift of hospitality. And everyone is called to do that. It didn't say given to hospitality for those that have the gift of hospitality. Read these things. It's not gifts that are given to certain people. Okay, I don't have to distribute to the needs of the saints because I'm given the hospitality. That's my gift, not that. No, these are characteristics of every Christian. All Christians are supposed to be doing. So now when you say, well, what is the will of God for my life? Read that. Read that and apply it to your life. Now you know what the will of God is for your life because... It's right there. It's spelled out. <laughs> here's, here's one that I don't have the gift. Bless those who persecute you. You know, that's not a gift. That's not a gift that God gives us. Oh, he gave me the gift of blessing someone that curses me. No, but that's what we're told to do as believers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That's hard for us. That's hard. Even for the nicest people, that's still hard. Oh, you may not curse them to their face. You know, but you get in that car. The other drivers know what you're, what you're thinking. <laughs> oh, they know. They're watching you drive and they're saying, oh, man. You've seen it when, uh, you know, we were at uh, the Diamondbacks game on Friday. Zach Williams was wonderful. We, we got to go to the concert after and uh, Zach Williams, this was a faith and family, um, you know, event. And so... Um, Zach, you know, was just amazing. I really love his music, but I love his heart for worship. And he, he just really poured out his heart there. It was 11.45 when he was done. Uh, 
Uh, I mean, the, the game ran a little long, and then uh, the concert, you know, started, uh, you know, at 10.35 or something like that. And it's like, oh, my goodness, you know. Well, you know, we can worship in the storm. Uh, here it is. It's late. You know, we're tired. I was up at 3.50 or something. Cheryl was up at 4 or something. And, and so we were tired. But you know what? What a blessed time. There were thousands of people in the stadium. All around the stadium. We were all worshiping together. Now, the reason why I was talking about that, before this big concert, we were up walking through, getting our food and stuff like that. And there were people everywhere. You can tell the conversations that people were having by the look on their face, the way they were walking, all of that. You can watch. If you were there before the game, you could see that my head was about to explode because I couldn't get to my tickets on my phone. And that's the only way they do them now. Through Ticketmaster, you know, I go in to get my tickets and it's like, your password has been around for too long. You need to change it. <laughs> what? Uh, you know, so I'm sitting there 20 minutes, literally. I've been in IT 30 years and... It took me 20 minutes to finally get my tickets to come up on oh, 30 minutes. Yeah. Uh, Cheryl, Cheryl started clocking me at 15. So, um, you know, and she wasn't upset. She was just like, all right, is there another way we can do it? Yeah, I can throw my phone at the guy and then run in. But I don't think that was very Christian. You know, so it's, Blessing is watching what is going on around you and being a blessing to others. Don't curse them, you know. And what was really neat is that we did get to go to like uh, a couple of the concessions and, and stuff. And although the food wasn't good, the people were very nice. You know, we enjoyed talking to the people and they were really nice. And so it made a stale hot dog bun taste better. You know, because of the person that served you. Bless and do not curse. Oh, the stinking hot dog bun. What's up with this? My New York could have come out. Okay? I was born and raised there. I know how to speak New York to these people. What's up with this? You give me a stinking hot dog like this. You know, the bun is all crusty. I can't open the, the, uh, the mustard packet. You know? And I, internally, I was a little frustrated, but I didn't curse anyone for it, as far as I know. <laughs> We're supposed to be blessing and not cursing. We're supposed to be nice to people because that's, they're going to receive that. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Sometimes when people are rejoicing, we don't want to rejoice with them because we think, hold on, they don't deserve that. They don't deserve. Why are they rejoicing? I've been faithful in everything I've been doing, and I don't have what they have. I didn't get what they got. I work so hard, and they get the recognition. 
they're putting the plaque on the wall that they did all of this. No, we're supposed to rejoice with them. We're supposed to be nice and, and, and get over it because someday that may be us. Rejoice with those who rejoice, but weep with those who weep. See, sometimes when someone is experiencing trials and tribulations, people try to give you and offer solutions. They try to fix things. When our house burned down, there were many people that tried to solve the problems, tried to fix things. Okay, can you get my house rebuilt by tomorrow? Get all my clothes back? All of the stuff we lost? Can you do it? No. But God did it in nine months. In nine months, that house was restored. And we were back in it short time after. And, and so, you know, there are times where we weep and people try to help us by offering help. The best thing to do is weep with them. It says weep with those who weep. Just come alongside and put your arm around them, minister to them. Just weep with them, comfort them during those times because right then, they're not in the mood to hear what you have to say. Really, they just want the pain to go away. And if you sit there with them... See, uh, when Job had his friends come over, the first thing they did was nothing. They sat there with him, silent, while he was going through his suffering. See, that's tradition in, in their um, culture. And so... They sat there until he spoke, until he engaged them. And then they came out with all the stupidity, right? But the fact was they started off right. Just be there, you know, in their struggle. That's what we're told to do also. Verse 16, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Ugh. That's tough. I went to college. I went to college to be wise. And so I, I, I thought I knew what was going on. I, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Folks, no compromise. Live peaceably with all men, but don't compromise your faith. Don't say, I'm going to accept the things I'm going to believe the same things as you believe. I'm going to support the things that you believe. But if it compromises the word of God, then don't do it. We're supposed to live peaceably. We're not supposed to support because Romans chapter 1 tells us that. 
that we're not supposed to encourage people in sin, but we're supposed to live peaceably with everyone, even people that are evil. We're supposed to live peaceably with as much as we can. Verse 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. Oof, I don't like that. Give place to wrath. This is telling me when there's wrath, allow it to be. Now this isn't talking about the wrath of God. This is talking about earthly wrath because we are not subject to the wrath of God. We're going to talk about more on that on Wednesday. But we're told, um, hang on, I'm sorry. Uh, Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So, if you see that there's someone that you want to take revenge on, don't. Pray. And then wait to see, because the Lord said, vengeance is his. His vengeance is going to be much worse than ours. His vengeance is going to be better than ours. It's going to solve the problem that we can't do. We aren't the Lord. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, this is the first thing we think of when when we think of our enemy, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Oh yeah, burn his head. Cook his head. I want to cook his brain. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. Well, hold on. What? You just said to heap coal on his head. And now you're saying that's doing good? Well, that's true. What it's talking about is back in the day when they have their fires at their house. Remember, they couldn't just flip a switch and have a fire there. You know, they didn't have propane lighters and big, you know, lighters and lighting up their fire. They had to keep coals hot. And so they can cook day by day and they would keep their coals hot. And then they, I'm going on vacation, won't be here for a week. When I come back, can I get some of your coals? And then they'd come with a pot and they put the coals in the pot and they'd put it on their head. That's what turbans were for, to make sure you didn't burn your head when you had the hot coal. And then you would go and then start your fire. You know, and that's a real cool remedy when you're cold. You know, just put a nice hot, you know, um, okay, well, we have different things for that now, don't we? We have water bottles, hot water bottles and stuff. You can, and, and, but back then, that's what they did. That was helping someone, giving them something that they needed. And that's what this is talking about. Help them, don't hurt them. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. This goes back 
to the first verse that we talked about in verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. It's going back to the idea that there is a separation between good and evil. And we as Christians represent good. At least we're supposed to. We're supposed to represent good. So when we embrace the gift God has given us, the spiritual gift God has given us, and we practice it, then we accomplish the will of God in our lives. Isn't that wonderful? It's easy. It's what we all want. But when God begins to work in our lives, we see these characteristics begin to take shape. We begin to see the things that Paul tells us that we should be living, we begin to see how it impacts other people's lives. And that's a, a good thing. That gives us promise. That gives us hope. That gives us assurance that what we're learning and what we're applying is from God because it works. Many of these other religions, you know, how would you like to be following a religion led by a guy named Confucius. <laughs> right? You know? And, and so he had many great sayings, but I'm just confused. I don't know how to apply this. You know? Oh, these are great sayings. But, but we have a God who makes all of these things work. We trust him and and. He, he works differently in every person, by the way. He gives people different gifts. and, and different. Sometimes people have the same gift. They just apply it differently. They just use differently by God. So that's the blessing. God is going to use his gifts when we allow him to. The key thing is to apply the lesson that Paul is teaching us here to our own lives. We apply them and we apply them with no compromise. Amen.